Hi, I'm Frank. I don't like change. And I just saw a billboard for this new BJ's Wholesale Club talking about up to 25% off grocery store prices. Oh, really? What's wrong with paying full price, huh? No, sir. I would not join BJ's Wholesale Club. Let's agree to disagree, Frank. Say you do want to sign up to get a $40 digital BJ's gift card. Join the new BJ's Wholesale Club, opening soon in New Albany. Visit bj's.com slash newalbany or the BJ's Membership Center on North Hamilton Road. Limited time offer, new members only. Donica Strange Riscano, author, speaker, and community leader, comes to you today with Recapture, the weekly program that gives a biblical perspective on living a Christ-centered life as you walk through your recovery journey. Our focus is providing healing for the family with love, knowledge, forgiveness, and information. Hello, sunshine. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, you know what? This is Monica Strange. I'm here on behalf of Donica Riscano presenting Recapture. And uh, we have a guest here with us today, uh, Dr. Rick Wallace. Uh, Dr. Wallace is our big brother. And uh, he comes with all these uh, degrees and information and so excited to have him in the studio with me. Uh, today, we're going to take a look at uh, critical race theory, and uh, we're going to look at this controversial framework and see how it helps us uh, as Christians and how it supports uh, an economic opportunity or educational opportunity. Uh, it's such a controversial conversation, though, Dr. Rick. Right, right, right. Yes. So it, persons on the both sides of the argument, they're crying foul. They're crying foul, either side of it. And I'm saying that foul is, they're saying it's false news. It, they're saying it's uh, overstating the past, understanding the now, and lies. Some people just call it straight out lies. They cry, call it foul on each side. So right. we'll let uh, Dr. Wallace talk to us a little bit about uh, critical race theory, what it is, what it's not, uh, depending on which side you are on the CRT argument, uh, you might be feel, feeling foul. But in our conversation today, we're going to expose uh, the myth of what I'm calling the myth of American Christians today. And, and what's the myth? What is, what is the myth of American Christians today? Uh, it's the myth of what I'm, it's what I'm calling the myth of the media. Uh, today as Christians, we're allowing our light and our witness or lack thereof <laughs> to be spelled out in the media by a select few, whether it's Fox, CNN, MSNBC, we're allowing the media to speak for us as Christians. But we have a responsibility to our faith, to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as the lost and dying world to be a light. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men. The Bible says in Matthew 14 through 16, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine. Are you letting your light shine? I was talking a little bit earlier to somebody or even to Dr. Rick here. I know people who are using their Christian light and their work to feed the hungry, to share the gospel, 
um, when we had Hurricane Harvey out there treading in that water, not for their family, but for other people. But we're having a media that's showing a, a ill-shown light for Christians. It's looking like, oh, they're argumentative. Oh, they're hateful. They don't love anybody. The scripture says in John 8 and 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. And whoever follows me will walk, will never walk in darkness. Hmm. What? If you follow Jesus, you won't walk in darkness. You won't be yelling at people on the Internet. You won't be fighting with the people at the school board meeting. But you're going to walk in the light of God. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light of life. Isaiah 60 and 11 says, Arise, shine for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Ephesians 5 and 8 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you're the light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. That's what I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to dispel the myth of the media that the, the Christians are just out there arguing and fighting and hating on the immigrants and don't want to talk about race in school. There's plenty of people that I have great relationship with, Caucasian, Latino, Asian. We're standing and sharing the light. And so we want to talk a little bit about this conversation on critical race theory and what it is, what it isn't, this uh, news media argument about it. Uh, a lot of people just can't stand it. I mean, what do they think is happening with the CRT that they just don't want it so much? So let's get with Dr. Wallace. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about um, Dr. Wallace. He is my oldest brother, and uh, he's the founder and CEO of Visionetics Institute. Uh, he uses a wide range of disciplines, including uh, psychocybernetics, neurolinguistic programming, psychology, neuroassociative conditioning, embodied cognitive conditioning, and transformational vocabulary to help people raise the level of their performance in every area of their life, including finance, marriage, business, parenting, and more. He is also a powerful and electrifying public speaker who speaks to a numerous types and sizes of audience on a number of different subjects. He also focuses on personal life enhancement and as a counselor. Uh, Dr. Rick, thank you for joining us. All right. Thanks for having no um, and um, I guess I'll begin uh, with sort of clarifying uh, something that I think is important uh, to clarify here as far as CRT is concerned. And then we can sort of merge the conversation mm-hmm. uh, and we can talk about the difference between religion, relationship uh, and action awesome. and how it applies. But first, we have to clarify uh, uh, what CRT is. Uh, okay. The great Neely Fuller Jr. said that until you understand uh, what white supremacy is, how it acts, how it moves, how it impacts you, everything you think you know will only confuse you. And when you un- when you approach racism the way that I have, I approach it from multiple positions because I'm dealing in a multifaceted world. So I don't just approach it from blackness. I'm ap- unapologetically black. But those who know me and uh, are friends with me know that I am not in 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 uh in in truth anti white and so my my uh unapologetic blackness doesn't automatically right. put me in a position to be but I am because of my 
unapologetic blackness, mm-hmm. ready to move in a very deliberate manner towards anyone or anything mm-hmm. that moves against me and my people. Now, the way that this thing works is it's about it's about divisiveness. Mm-hmm. The entire system is about divisiveness. And in this system, there has been a pattern of advantageous uh, uh, access mm-hmm. for one group and uh, on a disproportionate level, a lack of access. Okay. And what people think critical race theory is, it isn't. It's not so, at all. Th- so the first thing you have to understand about critical race theory is it can't be a lie because it doesn't make a statement. It's a practice. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about critical race theory, it's not a history lesson. Right. It's okay. not talking about what happened in 1935. It's not talking about, it's examining and interrogating practices. Now, first and foremost, CRT is not new. Right. CRT emerged in the 70s and it emerged through the legal academy initially. It right. was basically uh, a come out from uh, e, uh, CLS. CLS was critical law. Um, uh, it was it was based on uh, examining the legal system. Right. And laws and determining that law was not objective. Right. That laws could be used to uh, permeate and uh, support a racial caste system. And so basically you look at it and it's saying, can laws be codified in a way that one group benefits while another group uh, isn't placed in a disadvantageous position? And it basically was birthed uh, by Kimberly Crenshaw, who Mm -hmm. actually coined it, and Professor Derek Bell, a a Harvard law professor, who probably was the most outspoken and the most recognized voice. But there are a number of other people who are a part of it. And so basically what you're saying is, can you look into the legal system initially? Now it's moved into the education system. It's moved into a bunch of different areas of uh, society. And what critical race theory is, is a practice of examining laws, Mm -hmm. policies, and social constructs that serve to perpetuate a racial caste system. And it's for a number of purposes. Anyone who follows me on any of my channels or have read any of my books, they understand that I'm not about playing the victim card. Sure. I'm not about saying, oh, whoa, it's me. Look what everybody's done me. I'm a black man, blah. I'm about saying, let's see what's happened so we understand it. Everything is about strategy. Everything is about protocols and planning. When you don't have a strategy, when you don't have a plan, you tend to fall victim of the people who do. Right. So let me say this. Uh, looking recently at some research or some other uh, programmers, I was watching the PBS News Hour. Uh, this was published on June 24th. It describes CRT as a graduate-level framework which teaches the legacy of slavery and segregation in America is embedded in the legal system and policies even still today. So the legacy of slavery and segregation in America historically is still embedded in the legal system and policies today. When I look at this in terms of saying it, it's a graduate-level framework and it's talking about the legal system. I did know from where you were saying that it's originally a legal framework. 
Right. I just started thinking about the question of they're not teaching this to school kids. (laughs) They're not teaching this in elementary and secondary education. So where's the argument coming from? It is politics. And what you have to understand is, as I understand it and as I have studied it, I became aware of it on a an informed level probably about 15 or 20 years ago, oh, okay. researching researching one of my books. And I had heard it before and like, okay. So I said, okay, let me look into it. Let me see what's going on. And, it, and what I realized is I had been practicing critical race theory probably for 15 years before that okay. because it's simply – Critical examination of policies, laws, and social constructs that contribute to a current situation. And what you have to understand, we can go all the way back to, and this is the problem. No, you're exactly exactly right in your assessment. It's no way in the world that you can actually bring critical race theory, in, even into high schools. Mm-hmm. It's too advanced. It's too advanced. It's too expansive. And it's only offered in you, you, law, law schools. College. <laughs> Uh, as uh, as electives, as an elective. It's not a required subject. It's an elective, but it's a practice. And what happens is in this examination, there are a lot of things that are unearthed, though. Okay, mm. so we can go back. And one of the things that I found interesting in uh, studying it was uh, Professor Bale talked about uh, this thing called interest convergence. And in interest conversion, what he w- the, 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 the argument that he was making is if you look at the legal system, you can go all the way back to the emancipation, 1865, after the Civil War, when bl- blacks were declared legally free, mm-hmm. except for in uh, the 13th Amendment where it right. says it if you, if you go to prison, then right. all bets are off. Okay. But uh, you go back, and immediately after that, in the South, there were a bunch of policies across the U.S., not just in the South. For instance, in Oregon, uh, there was a a rule that blacks were not allowed in Oregon. Uh, And if you were caught in the state for more than 30 days, you will be whipped with 30 lashes and then uh, expelled from the state. In other words, uh, the, the great flight from the South, uh, except from places like Mississippi and so forth that ended up in the Midwest, like Chicago and uh, Indiana and places like that, never happened because people from the North, they didn't necessarily, uh, there were a lot of abolitionists in the North mm-hmm. that weren't uh, proponents of slavery, but they didn't necessarily want blacks around them. Oh, okay. Okay, so these laws felt like, well, first of all, you have to understand, when you have an influx of citizens and you have limited jobs, you create a problem, an economic okay. problem. And so that was the first issue. That was an economic problem. Now you have all these people who were contributing to the economy, which was one of the reasons the United States was able to advance so rapidly economically and become a world power. So you mean these slaves or former slaves? I mean, initially as slaves. Okay. You got free labor in a bunch of industrial uh, areas. Mm-hmm. And so now you've got a bottom line that's just off the charts right? because the overhead is low. Okay, you, you got to manage, you got to purchase, you got to uh, keep them alive, keep them healthy. But you no, know, at, at the end of the day, you're not paying a competitive wage right. in any form. Okay, so that that's that part. Now, then you get to the uh, 1865, at least. So the first 12 years are known as uh, Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Most people romanticize Reconstruction as the, the, the 12 years the country took to heal from the Civil War. But actually what it was in the South is those 12 years was the South actually continuing the war 
in a clandestine guerrilla warfare. So you had clandestine groups like the Klan, mm-hmm. other clandestine groups that would literally ride at night and bomb military installations, set them on fire, shoot up. And it became extremely costly in life and equipment for the Union Army to remain in the south in these installations, which kind of kept order. Mm-hmm. So eventually they picked up and moved back north and left the south to itself. Okay. And, with you know, except extreme situations, they didn't interfere. So you start to see laws pop up that start to move the South back to its antebellum roots, where you had the uh, whites in a superior position, blacks, you know. Well, let me ask you this. Let's kind of fast forward a little bit to um, some of the things that we know have historically occurred, like modern history. So we know modern context from television, print media, you, let's say if you go back to 1920s, 30s, and then you pop up to the 50s, 60s, where there's modern print media that can support that these things actually happened. Um, so where's this conversation of, I don't want my little kids to hear that. You can watch PBS and see it. You can watch it on YouTube. Uh, it is historical it, context. So. Well, what you, what you have to understand is when you start talking about media and you can go back, you can, you know, like with any of the laws, because that's what critical race uh, theory comes from is examining the laws where the laws, you know, whether it was uh, convict leasing, whether it was the uh, black codes that didn't allow blacks to own land or take jobs in certain industries. All of those things can be confirmed. OK, so when you start talking about not wanting kids to hear it and see it. It's not that we don't want necessarily want kids to hear it and see it. What we don't want is for anyone other than us to provide the context. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know we go back. We can look at now. Is Christ? First of all, is Christopher Columbus the person that we said he was when I was growing up? We actually, for a fact, know now that's not the case. Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Oh yeah, we had to sing all that stuff, and now <laughs> we're starting to find out exactly who Columbus was. And now people are trying to distance themselves, but again, they want to control the narrative and how it's done, so they get to do the spin. See, everything is PR. I, I'm okay with that. So, say for instance, Levi, we was in f- fourth grade with uh, my nephew. And he's primarily a Caucasian school. And he says to the teacher, I, I, when are we going to do black history? Well, uh, uh, I would tell you what happened to me. A period of like a, a presence of shame came on me, actually. I felt like it's not for them to teach you black history. It's for us to teach you black history. That's how I really felt. And so the teacher said, okay, we're going to do that in February. Oh, Lord Jesus. Okay. And February came. Their black history spotlight was Serena Williams. Oh, Lord have mercy. An athlete, really? You couldn't even do Martin Luther King, who everybody know, and Harriet Tubman? Their whole school program in February was whatever they did that day, and the person in the spotlight was Serena Williams. And that said to me and to my sister, I was like, hey, you are responsible for teaching your child. But but even something like Black History Month, understanding the history of how we got Black History Month with Carter G. Woodson initially starting with Black Black History History Week. Week. And that being because there wasn't any highlighted right. uh, information or history. And when you take away a pe- people's history, an awareness of who they are, an awareness w- w- where they're from, uh, an awareness of their heritage. That And people talk, talking about immigrants real quick, and then I'll let you ask them that question. Mm-hmm. People, pe- one of the things that's used against uh, descendants of slaves uh, is 
you know, immigrants come over here and they do fine. Even yes. immigrants from Africa yes. come over here and they thrive yes. in the system. What's the problem? Well, first and foremost, the immigrants that come over here, let's use Africa because they are black. So they automatically assume right. we're, we're the same, but we don't have the same shared experience. Right. Immigrants from black, uh, Africa come over here with a knowledge of their history. Mm-hmm. They can talk back hundreds of years because those stories have been told by griots. And so they have a sense of pride. They have a sense of value, a sense of work. Everything that we have was given to us, including our name. Um, the way that we approach our relationship with God was given to us. It's not the natural way that it came. It was the way that it was given to us and why it was initially given to us. And so when you talk about uh, school, you know, uh, we talk, talk about uh, Black History Month, then again, that's a system within a system that we don't control. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at things in, in the school system, because we move from the legal academy to education, which now critical race theory is also emerged in, and you start to ask the question, okay, how does the system benefit? And so what Derek Bell did, even when talking about that, we talk about Brown, Brown versus, the, uh, versus the Board of Education, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be the end of segregation in the school. And we talk about how that actually turned out and the fact that we are literally uh, 60 years past that and we still have segregated schools predominantly. Well, I did see some research that showed that a lot of uh, people did not segregate the school because the uh, mandate from the Supreme Court for the Brown decision was this segregation was public school, not private school. And a lot of people just sent their kids to Well, that was school. the first thing that happened was Christians, specifically mm-hmm. white evangelicals, mm-hmm. uh, their move was, okay, we're taking our kids out of public schools. We we're going to move them into basically what they start calling segregation academies, which were private schools, which they didn't have to. Now, eventually, over time and time and time fights again, we got out of that. But again, basically, they still use laws. Uh, for instance, policy uh, that, that supports the social construct. Okay, we know that we have... 30% of blacks living at the poverty line. Now, the poverty line is absolutely remarkably low. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, an individual $12,700 a year is the poverty line. For one I don't, person? For one person. I don't know anybody that can live on that. Uh, so I think that's low. 26200 I believe, is for a family of four. Is the poverty line. So if you actually start saying, okay, let's make the poverty line... Uh, the median of being at where where the, where the median is a livable income. Right. So now you're talking forty thousand dollars. Oh, that's a big difference. Now, how many blacks are now? Let's say poverty dictates your ability to get out of poverty. How does that happen? One one way that it's in policy is in how schools are funded. So your children are going to be prepared to compete in this world by how well they're educated. So how well they're educated. So in other words, you sit up and you, 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 you tax based on income and property value. Well, schools are in wealthy neighborhoods are going to get more funding because wealthy people live in those districts. So, again, that's just one way it happens. Mm-hmm. And you can go on and on and on with these different uh, ways that this happens. And you can talk about it all day. But ultimately, critical race theory has absolutely nothing to do with talking about history in the sense of they mm. did this to us, they did. Th- it's about saying how do how in the laws today do we see things that perpetuate it, and they are there. 
Well, thank you guys so much. We have Dr. Rick Wallace with us today, and we're talking about what critical race theory is and what it's not. And what we're learning is that critical race theory is not a curriculum that's going to be shared in the classroom with your elementary or secondary students. It really is a collegiate level, graduate level framework that talks about uh, the legal system and other policies and systems in America that really are based on the legacy and framework of slavery and segregation in the history of America. So we just wanted to give you a a little bit more information about that so that you can continue in your space and uh, debunk the myth of the media. Debunk the myth of the media, which is saying that Christians are hating on immigrants, that Christians don't want information in the classroom, that Christians are not out there uh, in the trenches serving the lost and the forgotten. And so uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Monica Strange. And uh, this is Dr. Rick Wallace, and we just wanted to give you one second, which is our tip for the journey. Our tip for the journey is let your light so shine before men that they may see the good works of your Father in heaven. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on this week's broadcast. My prayer is that you continue to grow, find peace, forgiveness, knowledge, and information. To learn more or connect with us, visit our website at the psdiamondcelebration.com. Until next time. I'm Frank, and I'm not a big fan of BJ's Wholesale Club super low gas prices. I don't trust things that low. Started in 92. Big office Christmas party. Come on, join the limbo line. Now I see a chiropractor. So, no, BJ's, I don't want super low gas prices. Okay, then. But if you'd like super low gas prices and a $40 digital BJ's gift card, join the new BJ's Wholesale Club, opening soon in New Albany. Visit BJ's.com slash New Albany or the BJ's Membership Center on North Hamilton Road. Limited time offer, new members only.